from Wondery, the creators of Business Wars, American Scandal, and Even the Rich, comes British Scandal, a podcast that tells the stories of the murkier side of the British elite. In the latest season, British Scandal takes a deep dive into the world of one of the most scandalous prime ministers Britain has ever seen, Boris Johnson. The podcast gets into all the scandals that cropped up in Boris's government, like those illegal lockdown parties in Downing Street, or that time the prime minister avoided an interview by hiding in a refrigerator. British Scandal starts at the top with hosts Alice Levine and Matt Ford, who cover it all. From Boris's turbulent upbringing to his debauched university days to the many, many scandals that mark his premiership. We're about to play you an excerpt from episode one. But if you'd like to hear more, follow British Scandal wherever you listen to podcasts or listen one week early and ad-free by subscribing to Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. Just a warning before we begin this episode, it does contain strong language, Alice. I might not have heard some of these words before. I think I've heard you use all of them. (laughs) 6th of July, 2022. The Committee Room, Downing Street, London. Boris Johnson strides into the room and glares at the seven cabinet ministers round the table. He bites down his anger, throws a heavy file on the desk, watches them flinch. Seven of you? The Magnificent Seven, I take it I'm the bad guy in this scenario. They all stare at the table, ashen-faced. Most of them fidget nervously. He leans back in his chair, takes in the heavy silence. He has to hear them out, but it's the last thing he wants. Michelle Donnellan, the Education Minister, flicks back a strand of dark hair. Now culture sack, of course, under trust. At the time of recording, yes. (laughs) By the time this goes out, she could be Prime Minister. (laughs) Prime Minister, we're all very grateful for the service you've done for the country, for taking us out of Europe, but now is the time... He leans forward. I made you Education Minister yesterday, Michelle. At least Brutus put the bloody hours in before he stabbed Caesar. He watches her shrink back, but he feels suffocated. He glances at one of his aides. Come on, open a window. He ruffles his blonde hair while the aide struggles with the lock. Uh, It seems to be stuck, Prime Minister. Just open the fucking thing! The aide slinks into a corner. Michael Gove clears his throat and leans forward. Prime Minister, nobody can deny your achievements during your time in office, but you have to face reality. You're no longer popular in the country. You've damaged your own reputation since you took office, and you've damaged the reputation of the party. It pains me to see this, but you have to resign, and you need to make your announcement by nine o'clock tonight. Boris leans back, glares at Gove, fights the urge to hurl the table at him. Right, if I leave, this country will sink, and not one of you has the stature to take my place. Okay, he talks a lot of rubbish, but... He watches Pretty Patel squeeze the bridge of her nose, then fold her hands on the desk. She's been one of his staunchest supporters for years. She helped run his campaign to get him elected as party leader in the first place. Prime Minister, none of us want this to be humiliating. Leave now and you can still maintain some dignity. He stares at her, horrified, until she looks away. His throat feels tight, his heart pounds. He looks down at the desk. For the next few seconds, nobody speaks. 
Then he looks back at them all, feels his rage rise again. You're all forgetting one thing. I'm the leader who won you fuckers your seats. The public gave me, me, a colossal mandate to govern. Do you want to force another snap election? Everyone sits bolt upright. Gove looks horrified. An election? You can't do that. Boris glares at him, lets the threat hang in the air. This meeting's over. Fuck off. When they've gone, he puts his head in his hands, runs his fingers through his tousled hair. His whole life has been geared towards being Prime Minister. He's meant to be the next Churchill, have statues of himself outside the Palace of Westminster. He looks around the empty room. His cabinet and his MPs might be deserting him, but he's not going anywhere. He's going to do what he's done his whole life. He's going to fight to the bitter end. And he's going to win. From Wondery, I'm Alice Levine. And I'm Matt Ford. And this is British Scandal. The show where every week we bring you stories from this green and not always so pleasant land. British scandals come in many shapes and sizes. Some are about money, some are about sex. They're all about power. But when we look at scandals a little bit closer, they turn out to be stranger, wilder and just plain weirder than we remember. So we're journeying back to ask who's to blame for what happened. And when the dust settled, did anything really change? Alice, if you were to imagine the archetypal British scandal protagonist, what attributes would they have? On the bingo card. Um, so elite background, dripping in privilege, a philanderer, ideally, a huge ego, a liar, power hungry, just shameless. Yes, if the British scandal boffins were in Frankenstein's lab and they were creating a protagonist, it would have the head of Boris Johnson the torso of Boris Johnson, <laughs> the arms of Boris Johnson, <laughs> the legs of Boris Johnson, the other bit of Boris Johnson. So are you telling me that we're doing a series on Boris? Yes, which is a novelty for us because we don't usually cover things so contemporary, but he's such a big character. He is the most outrageous prime minister we've ever had. He is the most famous prime minister we've ever had, arguably the most infamous as well. You could say the most scandalous prime minister we've ever had. I mean, where on earth do we start? I mean, this is the problem. Think of any part of his life, any period of his life, and there are just lies and law-breaking and all sorts of things. He broke the laws that he brought in during lockdown, the illegal parties at Downing Street. He got a fixed penalty notice, the only prime minister in history to have received a fixed penalty notice inside number 10. It's incredible. And on top of that, of course, it wouldn't be British scandal if there wasn't a whole load of sex as well. And we're going to cover it all. We are going deep into the character of Boris Johnson. I'm not sure I want to delve into that swamp. You don't have a choice. <laughs> this is The Rise and Fall of Boris Johnson, episode one. Who's the blondest? Nineteen seventy-three, Nethercut Cottage, Exmoor. Nine-year-old Boris stands next to his sister Rachel and his brother Leo. They aim their air pistols at a target pinned to a tree. His father, Stanley, stands in front of them with a wine glass in his hand. Remember, success comes from competition. It's not about taking part, it's about winning. 
That's a remix on a common phrase, isn't it? I've heard a different version of that. He ruffles Boris's hair. I expect you to win, Boris. Don't let me down. Boris frowns, concentrates on the centre of the target, waits for his father's call. Fire! <laughs> Boris feels a sudden searing pain. He reaches down. Blood seeps through his T-shirt. Oh, Christ! Which one of you shot him? Leo bursts into tears. It was an accident, Daddy! Boris wobbles as his mother Charlotte runs towards him. Get him to a hospital, quick! Boris feels Stanley lift him up and run to the car. His mother jumps in the back seat next to him with his youngest brother Joe on her knee. Boris can see his blood seep onto her rabbit fur waistcoat. He lets his head lean against the window as his mother shouts at his father. How the hell did you let this happen? Put your foot down! If he keeps losing this much blood, he'll die! He hears his own weak voice ask, Am I dying? Are we allowed to comment on your young Boris? Sure, sure. Why? <laughs> Any issues? Not a single one. I just, I just meant generally, if people had feelings, could they write in? Oh, they can write in. Sure. But they're going straight in the shredder. <laughs> she shakes her head. You're going to be just fine, darling. But she's crying so much he doesn't believe her. Then he hears his dad's cheerful voice. OK, which one of you is the best speller? Oh, my God, really? Here's your word. Vicissitude. Boris? Wait a sec, that means bad luck, doesn't it? Bad fortune. I mean, that's a bit dark. It is, <laughs> although it's a word that I think may be relevant throughout this series. <laughs> Every bump in the winding road is agony, but he concentrates on getting the spelling right. V... I, C, I, S, I. Stanley stops him. Wrong! Rachel, tell Boris how to spell it. Boris squeezes his eyes shut in humiliation as his sister gets the spelling right. A few minutes later, they pull up at the hospital. A doctor cleans his wound, gives him stitches and antibiotics. That night after dinner, Stanley sits everyone down. Boris doesn't want to listen to anything his dad has to say. He's sick of his competitions. If his dad wants them to play who's the blondest, he's going to refuse. Is that real? Yes, it is. And it doesn't feel like there's a game you've got any control over. <laughs> it's not a game of skill, is it? Plus, his wound still hurts. But Stanley tells them they must all think of themselves as trees in a rainforest. One of you will grow into a huge tree. The others will either perish in its shade or they'll have to find their own place in the sun. His dad looks straight at him. That special tree is you, Boris. You're my firstborn and the smartest. You are destined for greatness. He watches his dad walk away. He's never loved him as much as he does at this moment. His sister, Rachel, whispers that dad is wrong, that she's going to be the best in the family. I'm going to be queen of the world. Boris gives her a sharp dig to the ribs. I'm going to be king of the world. He's never meant anything more in his life. From now on, he's going to prove his dad right. He's going to be someone great. June 1974, Brussels. 
Boris grabs his school bag and runs out of the classroom. He's desperate to get home early. It's his 10th birthday in a few days and he wants to ask his dad if he can have a party. He likes a girl in his class called Marina and he wants to invite her. He's already tried asking her out, but she's refused. You Johnsons are wild. You're too rough. He's tried out his best Bertie Worcester impression on her. What ho, Marina? Fancy joining me for a spot of eggs and bee? That's timeless. I would actually fall for that. At any time of the day? <laughs> Look, it's a jungle out there. But Marina shook her head and walked away. Last week, when Stanley dropped him off in their old beat-up car, Boris deliberately fell out and rolled on the ground to make her laugh. Whenever he sees her between classes, he ruffles his hair and pretends to be hopeless so she'll help him. That's been a recurring bit, hasn't it? In fact, that's never really fallen out of the repertoire. Most of the time, she just ignores him. She's a very smart ten-year-old woman, isn't she? He runs into his house, flings his bag on the table, but no one's home. He opens the fridge door for a snack. Then he hears a thudding noise from one of the bedrooms. He freezes. When you say thudding, what do you mean? Well, let's just hope Leo hasn't shot anyone else. I don't think it's that, Matt. He creeps upstairs, steps over the squeaky floorboards. His parents' bedroom door is open. His heart thuds. He can hear someone cry out. He creeps up and stands in the doorway and stares in horror. His dad is naked, in bed with a strange woman. Stanley turns and glares at him, scrambles out of bed and slams the door in his face. So that's probably, and I'm no child psychologist, never claim to be, probably going to stay with you. A few minutes later, he's sitting at the kitchen table when his dad comes downstairs. I don't want you to tell your mother what you just saw. Promise me. Boris looks down and nods. It's hard not to think of adult Boris when we're thinking of this scenario, but that is just so crushing and upsetting to think of putting a kid in that position. That night, he's asleep when he hears his parents arguing. They've been fighting a lot recently. He hears his dad shout, You're paranoid! A few minutes later, his bedroom door opens and his mother comes in. She sits on the side of his bed. Did your father bring another woman into this house today? Boris sits up and looks at her. She's been crying. He doesn't want to break his promise to his dad, but he doesn't want to lie to his mum. So he hesitates and then says, Yes, he was in bed with her. His mother nods, then wipes her eyes. She doesn't say anything for a while. Thank you for telling me the truth. He listens to his mother weeping in the next room, blinks back his own tears. He should have listened to his dad, been more like him. And just lied. That's a very interesting takeaway from that experience. 1977. Ashdown House Prep School, East Sussex. Boris grabs the rugby ball, puts his head down and runs for the line. He's got an important exam tomorrow, but right now all he can think about is winning this match. A huge boy sprints towards him. Boris isn't scared. He knows he's big for a 13-year-old, so he shoulders into him, barges past, 
dives across the line and scores a try. When the game is over, his headmaster, Mr Williams, claps him on the back and tells him he did well. Last week, Mr Williams put him in for the King's scholarship exam. If you get this scholarship, Boris, you'll go to Eton as one of its top intellectual elites. You're clever enough. But remember, only the best of the best will succeed. Can people stop giving him this pep talk? What's terrifying is there are children in this country today still getting this sort of pep talk. Definitely. That night, he can't sleep. He lies in his dorm and stares at the intricate plasterwork on the high ceiling. Of course, his dad can pay for him to go to Eton. That's not a problem. But Boris wants to go as someone special. Only 14 boys in the whole country get a King's Scholarship. He wants to be one of them. He loves school. At home, his parents are always fighting. Right now, his mother is in hospital. She's had a nervous breakdown and he hates visiting. She paints brightly coloured pictures of the family and they're all weeping. Oh my God. Last time he'd visited, she'd grabbed him, her eyes wild. Don't let anyone break your heart. Not the way your dad broke mine. Promise? He'd nodded and got out as fast as he could. Being with his dad is no better. Last time he was home, he walked in on him with two au pairs and they were all naked. His dad had told the au pairs it was the rules of the house. Oh, Jesus. His dad doesn't even bring him here from Brussels. He has to come himself with his younger sister, Rachel. Stanley drops them off at Gare du Nord Station in Paris with their bags and Boris has to get them both safely to East Sussex. Knowing what we know now, it's hard to really feel any sympathy for him whatsoever, especially with all these trappings of a very privileged life. But he is just a kid here and a kid that's kind of been left to deal with the parenting of his younger sibling. It's a lot if you're 13. And this is before the Channel Tunnel. <laughs> Can you imagine? Next morning, Boris sits in the exam hall and stares at the paper. His heart races. He's read the question three times now, but he can't answer it. He grips the side of the table and thinks about his dad's advice. How life is a bitter, ruthless competition. How he'll only succeed if he can beat everyone else. He lets go of the desk, grabs his pen and starts writing. Two weeks later, he's just finished choir practice when Mr Williams calls him over. He walks behind his billowing gown and follows him to his office. Mr Williams picks up a piece of paper from his desk. This, Boris, is a list of the 14 successful King's Scholars for next year's entry into Eton. Boris scans the list. He can't see his name. But then he spots it at the bottom. He's 13th of 14 candidates. Mr Williams holds out his hand. You're a King's Scholar. Congratulations. Boris beams at Mr Williams. He's made it. He's going to be an elite pupil in a school for elites. And he's going to take every opportunity Eton gives him.